Welcome to Write Now with Scrivener, where writers talk about how they work, how they develop their ideas, and how they use Scrivener, the app built for long-form writing projects. I'm your host, Kirk McElhern, author of Take Control of Scrivener. Today I'm happy to welcome Fonda Lee. Fonda is the author of the epic fantasy Green Bone Saga. She has won the World Fantasy Award, the Locus Award. She's a five-time winner of the Aurora Award, which is Canada's National Science Fiction Fantasy Award, multiple finalists for the Hugo Award, and lots of other awards. Fonda, thank you for joining me. Thanks, Kirk. It must be reassuring to know that you're appreciated by readers and by the groups of authors and others that give awards out. It is. I mean, one of the things um, that is interesting about a writing career is that you uh, work in isolation for so long and then the work goes out into the world and months, years later, um, recognition starts coming back. So it's, it's, uh, this long, long delayed gratification. But when it does arrive, it's always really, really satisfying because, um, you know, there are definitely times during the writing process, and I'm sure we're going to talk about it, um, where it feels just like one giant long slog. So, um, so yes, I absolutely feel very, very grateful for um, the appreciation that I've gotten for the books. I want to talk about your career because you started with, I want to say, a boring career, and you shifted into writing. You were a corporate strategist for Nike. And that sounds like, okay, it's Nike. It's a little bit more hip than, you know, a consulting firm. But why did you make the shift? What did you study, first of all, to become a corporate strategist for Nike? Did you do an MBA? And why did you switch to writing? I did do an MBA. Um, I had a, a business career. I started out in management consulting, uh, did an MBA, went and worked in corporate strategy. Uh, so I, I had a very... Um, I, actually, I mean, even though it sounds boring, there there was a lot of um, interesting stuff that I did day to day in terms of um, you know business strategy and and all that. But um, it it wasn't it wasn't the passion that I'd had since I was young. Right, writing was the passion that I had since I was young. Um, but I grew up very much not thinking that that was a real job. I didn't know any authors. Uh, you know, the fantasy that I enjoyed was. All, all like sort of the, the epic medieval European fantasies in the vein of, um, you know, Tolkien and, um, and Jordan and all that. So, so I had, um, you know, a sort of a pipe dream that it would be really fun one day to try and write novel, but, um, I didn't really, uh, get down to it until, um, I was in my early thirties and I had sort of reached this point in my business career where I had to decide what to do next. It was kind of like a, okay, you've been in your role for a while now. What's sort of the next position that's right for you? And as I kind of looked around at the jobs that my, my boss had and, and her boss had, I just was like, you know, I don't actually want any of those jobs. Um, I was also at a point where I had uh, no time for writing. So I didn't, I didn't have, um, that outlet anymore. So I, um, sort of had this epiphany where I said, you know, if I really want to do this dream, um, that I've had and write a novel, I'm going to take some time to actually do that. So I got serious about it and, and started signing up for writing classes and going to conferences and developing a writing practice. Um, and, uh, and one thing led to another and I, I set myself a goal of writing a, entire novel manuscript in a year. So I did that. Um, and that went, uh, that was sort of a practice novel that didn't go anywhere. And then I wrote another one and queried it. Um, and that didn't get picked up. Uh, and then I wrote another one uh, and that became my debut novel. And after that, I was like, Hey, I enjoy this. I'm going to keep 
I'm going to keep it up and I'm just going to see how far I can take it. So how long from that initial decision to the time that you got that first novel accepted? Uh, it was about probably somewhere but around three years from the point at which I made that decision. So you were firmly anchored in that decision to take that risk, to, to be committed for that period of time after a couple of rejections. Yeah. And I was still juggling, you know, at, at, one, at first I was juggling the day job, trying to do that plus uh, to write. Um, and uh, as I said, I did have a lot of, of time. So I clawed back my, my day job and um, tried to, I hired someone else to take on some of my role and pulled myself down to a part-time position. Um, and then eventually as the writing career started to, to take off, I quit and then went freelance um, as a business consultant and then eventually just sort of phased out and, and made a full a switch into full-time writing. Do you miss that? The business work? No. Good. <laughs> Some people do. Some people have regrets. One thing that's interesting is that in your Green Bone saga, you're kind of introducing gangs that are like businesses. And it kind of feels like there's Nike and Reebok and Adidas, the different gangs. I mean, not exactly. But did you imagine it like that? No, not exactly. But I, I will say, of course, everything that happens in your life as a writer is fuel for inspiration in some form or another. So, yeah, absolutely. The fact that I have a business degree, that I had background um, in the corporate world, influenced uh, the tone of of that series in particular, because there is a lot of corporate intrigue. Um, you know, the the fact that uh, the economy is a big part of of the plot line um, and the magic resource in that world. Jade is a major export and there's warfare that happens at the corporate boardroom level as well as on the street level. That's certainly all influenced um, by my past career to some extent. It's interesting because a lot of fantasy has magic and the magic comes from nowhere, but your magic comes from a resource that's exploited and it's a different approach. In other words, it's not, it's not magic magic, is it? Right. Right. Yeah, I have uh, a, a particular um, keenness for, uh, I guess people have described it as low magic, magic that doesn't feel especially magical or feels you know, treated sort of very, in a very mundane way. And by mundane, I mean a very much a sort of normal part of day-to-day -day life that is, uh, that, that isn't unknowable, right? There's the, the fantasy um, stories where magic is essentially very, um, it, it, it's sort of beyond human comprehension, and uh, you know, there's there, there may be rules to it, but it, it sort of it comes from some cosmic power, um, or even you know a divine power. And um, and I I tend to enjoy writing speculative fiction where there is just that that turn into the speculative, but that feels very true to life as and and one in which the characters don't even really see the magic as being especially magical. It's just kind of part of their world. You said speculative fiction. Do you consider this speculative fiction or fantasy or a hybrid? I know that these are terms that used to be, you know, have firm walls between them. And these days, it's a lot more fluid. I think speculative fiction is a good term just as an umbrella for fantasy, science fiction, and horror. Uh, and, every, and, and a lot of sort of, a, of fiction that's adjacent to you know science fiction fantasy and horror um and and you know there's there's science fiction and fantasy and speculative elements in in so much of our media that we don't 
immediately think of as being part of SFF. But speculative fiction to me is sort of an umbrella term that can encompass all of that. You mentioned earlier that when you were young, you were reading all of this fantasy, which was The Lord of the Rings, basically a pseudo-medieval white European world, which is not your your ancestors' culture. And you decided to choose a different location, and yours is a modern urban fantasy as well. Did it just feel more natural to write that instead of the medieval type fantasy? I don't know if it's natural so much as more just something I wanted to read. I, I think a lot of writers, you know, we, we write the book that we want to read and that we haven't found on the shelf yet. So uh, the Greenbone Saga in particular is just, it's a, it, it's a mashup. I've said this, you know, before um, of it's, it was a passion project of mine. That was things that I liked that I just mashed together. So, you know, it was, it was epic fantasy, but also, um, you know, an urban uh, gangster saga um, and a Kung Fu epic. So it was, you know, it, it was things that I wanted to blend um, and that I thought would be really uh, fun to play with. Um, and it, it I didn't have any real inkling of whether or not it would find an audience beyond the audience of one that was me. Uh, so I'm very grateful that that it has. It's always, it, it's always I think um, validating and and satisfying when you write something for yourself to find that actually you're not really a special snowflake. A lot of people have uh, an interest in tastes that are similar to you. I started reading science fiction and fantasy in the 70s. I'm old, and it was all. I want to say templates and stereotypes, and I don't think your type of fantasy or a lot of fantasy these days would ever have sold back then. I don't know when the shift took place. I guess it's when people started taking fantasy more seriously in the beginning of this century, because back then it was all sword and sorcery, or it had to be Tolkien-like and all that. But it's true that the fantasy genre has flourished in, in recent years. Absolutely. I think we really are in a fantastic period uh, for the expansion of fantasy. And by that, I mean, um, you know, it's, it has grown so much in terms of um, what it encompasses, inspirations coming from different time periods, different parts of the world, different genres. Uh, and, and so I, I feel like the, the, um, the, the fences around the genre have have just broken down. Um, but I think there's still a perception among more of the maybe the mainstream public or lay readers who who aren't as um you know familiar with the genre that it is still uh, a certain thing, right? Like I, and I, I think it just hasn't sort of quite gotten there um perhaps with like the the general reading public. But those of us who are in in the genre who work in it every day, I think we we just see so much change. And I would say I agree. Like I think it's probably in about the last five to ten years. Um, and you know, I I don't think Greenbone Saga is something that would have been you know published even ten years ago. In the early days, fantasy was a very male thing, and you you picture the Frank Frazetta covers, right, with the women in their scanty outfits. And doing some research for this episode, I saw a whole bunch of video reviews of these novels by women, young women. And fantasy has now become something that women are enjoying, and a lot of women are writing as well. And that, too, is another welcome change, I think. I wouldn't even say it's a change. I would say that it's just more of an acknowledgement and acceptance. I think we've always been there. I remember being a teenager who who loved fantasy um, and did not get invited to the, the D&D games. 
we were there. We just weren't at the table. We weren't invited to the table in the same way. Um, and now I, you know, I'm in a long running D and D campaign. And, uh, you know, I, I, I remember watching the boys in, um, my middle school playing it and the, not inviting the girls, right? That, and, and so I think that it's not like we changed. It's just that I think, um, the, the acknowledgement is now there that fantasy can be for everyone. And it's much more, it's, and also I think there, there definitely was more of a sort of a fringe element to it, you know, decades ago. Um, and now it's, it's just much more mainstream. And I think we owe that a lot to, uh, to the film industry. I think the incredible success of, um, well, first Harry Potter and then Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings and, and Lord of the Rings and Marvel. You know, I, I think all of that has, um, has changed. So you have black belts in karate and kung fu. I do. That's a lot of work. Are you influenced by wuxia fiction, which is this Chinese form of sort of historical fantasy mixed with martial arts? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. I, I did not have any familiarity with that genre. Um, growing up, I read, you know, all the typical Western fantasy, C.S. Lewis and, and, uh, Chronicles of Perdane and Dragon Riders of Pern and Bradbury and all that. So, um, I was not familiar with it growing up, but my, my father was always trying to kind of introduce me to it. Um, and then, uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon came out as a, in my, I can't remember, I was probably in my teens at the time. And, um, or early twenties, I can't remember exactly what year it came out, but I, uh, I, I became just kind of obsessed with that film. Um, and he was, he, he told my, my dad was like, well, if you like that, well, there's an entire genre out there. And he was like, well, check out these books, check out these other movies. Um, so that's how, and I'd, I'd already, you know, been pretty devoted to martial arts, um, for several years at that point. Uh, and, and so the combination, of like, oh my gosh, there's an entire genre that's basically martial arts, which is meaningful to me, and fantasy, which is meaningful to me. Um, and uh, so I, I, I definitely went down, um, you know, the, the rabbit hole and, and became very appreciative of that genre. Um, and that influence has certainly come into the, into the Greenbone saga. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about your books and we're going to talk about how you use Scrivener. Writing a book, screenplay, or even a long article is a juggling act. You need to find the right words and the right structure, keep track of research, and refer to notes. Tailor-made for long writing projects, Scrivener is the go-to app for writers of all types. Scrivener combines a typewriter, binder, and corkboard in a single app. A project outline makes it easy to get an overview of your work and flip between sections. Refer to research alongside your writing and just drag and drop to rearrange your work. Write in any order, in sections as large or small as you like, and let Scrivener stitch it all together when you're ready to share your words with the world. With Scrivener, you'll find everything you need to start writing and keep writing. Scrivener is available for Mac, Windows, iPad, and iPhone. Download the free trial from ScrivenerApp.com. Right now with Scrivener listeners can get a 20% discount with the coupon code PODCAST. That's ScrivenerApp.com. So your latest novel, actually novella, is Untethered Sky, and it's actually quite short, 150 pages. Why did you write something so short? Was this a kind of exercise after writing the Greenbone trilogy? Yes. It was 100% a needed change of pace after writing a epic fantasy trilogy with books that were around 700 pages long. So I um, happened to be uh, at, at Worldcon and sat down with... Um, 
Jonathan Strawn, my editor at tour.com who said, uh, would you write a novella? And at that point he, he caught me at the you know perfect time um, for me to say yes, because I thought a novella sounds fantastic. It sounds very short. Um, so I had fortunately a project that I'd started many years ago um, and that I had uh, I'd set aside because I was busy working on this, on this tr- trilogy. Um, and I came back to it and I, I said, this would make a great novella. And um, it's very different from the Greenbone saga. It was also very satisfying to write. How long did it take you to write the trilogy? 2,000-ish pages? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, seven odd years. Oh, okay. Did you initially plan it as a trilogy? I did not know it would be a trilogy because I wrote it um, on spec. I did not have a book deal for it. I wrote the first book knowing that it could be a larger series, but not knowing if it would sell. So it was only after uh, I um, managed to uh, get a deal for the first book that my publisher said, we would like a trilogy. And I was like, great. Absolutely. It could be a trilogy. Why are trilogies so popular? I guess your three-act structure in a novel or a film can be sort of applied to a trilogy, but it's more often trilogies than two books in a series or four or seven. I actually really like duologies, two books. Um, And and, uh, I I have to say that... um, I think the trilogy is sort of a sweet spot for readers and writers in terms of big enough to tell a really epic story, but not quite long enough to wear out its welcome. You know, like I, I think once you get into the, it's a real feat. Maybe I'll try it one day to write five, seven, 10, 12 books in a series. Um, not only do you, do you run the risk of becoming repetitive? Um, but you also, as a writer, run the risk of getting bored. I mean, some writers obviously don't. They're able to, I, some, there's mystery writers I know who are, right, you know, they've got series that go into the 12, 16, 20 odd books. Mysteries are different because they're, they're, because they're episodic. Right. They always end. There's always an end. There's never a cliffhanger leading to the next one. I think back to the Wheel of Time, and I remember reading a quote by Robert Jordan at some point. This is back in the early days. How long are you going to be writing these novels? He said, until my daughters finish college. Basically, he had to pay for his daughters to get through college. He didn't have to worry about that after the first few books. But I couldn't get to the end of the series. It kind of dragged on and got repetitive. And that's the risk of a long fantasy series, I think. I tend to uh, like big stories, but I like big stories that end. I'm a very uh, big fan of completion. I, I don't tend to invest in stories that I don't know have a conclusion. Um, and that's why I, I'll, I'm one of those readers and, and um, you know, show television show watchers who uh, tend to wait until I know that the show or the series is complete. And then I'll, I'll get started um, because I, I, I don't uh, like things unfinished. Um, and that goes for me as a writer, I I really enjoyed writing big stories, but I also really enjoy finishing them. And that's one of the risks of book series and TV series is that people won't engage because they're afraid they're going to be canceled. And we've seen this with a lot of TV series. And we've seen this with the Game of Thrones, which will never be finished in book form, that readers don't want to take the chance, even with a trilogy, they might not want to take the chance on the first one, afraid that the publisher won't finish it. It's not, you know, the publisher. It It is often sometimes a, a um, unfortunately, a vicious self-fulfilling prophecy where the first book comes out and readers aren't 
confident that's going to be completed because of some really high profile series that weren't completed. And so they don't take a chance on the first book. But then if the first book doesn't do well, then uh, the publisher and the writer don't have the leeway. They they aren't able to complete the series. So um, it is, it, it is, it, I always say you and encourage readers to support the first book in a series because the first book needs the support if it's going to be finished. And the vast majority of writers, we, you know, do not have, uh, money rolling in from television deals. So we will finish our series. The vast majority of writers who set out to write a trilogy do in fact finish it. So it is a little bit unfair, I think, uh, to this perception that you, know, you can't get into a series until it's done. So um, so even though I do really care for a series to be complete, I, I will often go and get the first book and make sure it is supported so that it will actually be complete, even if I don't read the whole thing at what and until you know it's done so world building is a key element in fantasy and a lot of fantasy authors have these info dumps and you get halfway through the first chapter and then you get this sort of the history of the whatever that goes back 12 centuries and so in your book untethered sky i noticed you have a really subtle approach to it. In the first few pages you've got terms like rock and rookers and the master of the royal muse and then you kind of drip feed the explanations in and this kind of lets the reader understand them organically and i, I sometimes feel it in fantasy authors don't trust the readers to be intelligent enough to figure this out out. I think fantasy readers, for the most part, want to be trusted, but they also like world building. They like information. Um, you know, I I love having uh, you know fantasy series that uh, go in deep into the history and you know the the world and um, and you know build it build out the detail. Um, and I actually really dislike the term info dump because I think people use it as sort of a catch-all term for any sort of world-building exposition. Because info dumps, you know, air quotes around them, can be incredibly compelling reading. If you, uh, if you write exposition, um, you know, with, uh, with a deft hand, you can, many ways to get information to a fantasy reader. And I've seen writers do all sorts of cool things. You know, they can, there can be little archival, I'm, I'm recent, I'm reading the entire Dune series and, and it has these little, um, you know, epigraph. It has, um, the, the sort of the introductions to the chapters. Yeah, they, yeah. They, right. Right. They've got like the historical texts and you no know, in world, um, you know, uh, quotes from, from figures throughout history and, you know, things like that. Right. And, and other writers have done, I, I use, I use interludes, um, in my, uh, Greenbone saga, which are just like narratively, um, uh, appropriate places to put these sort of, uh, bits of history about the world, um, and, you know, the mythology and, and, and all that. Um, so you can, you can make information interesting. And you have to kind of balance where you tell things, you, where you give the reader information with where they just absorb it more organically in an in-scene um, situation. Uh, and you have to be able to do both, uh, especially, I think, when you're working in a secondary world where you have to, you can't count on the reader to be able to just understand, right? If you're writing a contemporary story and, you know, you say, so this character, John, he got into his Tesla. Okay. Well, we know what that is, right? Like we just have the, we're, we're lucky enough to have all that context already. And as a fantasy writer, you have to build all of that. Um, and you have to decide where you want to, um, to introduce it so that it's narratively important at the point at which the reader experiences it. 
So let's talk about how you use Scrivener. Have you written all your novels using Scrivener? I've written every one of my novels using Scrivener. Okay. And the first one you wrote when? How long ago? That was uh, 2011, roughly. So yeah, about 12 years. Yeah. Okay. So you were pretty early. So how do you use Scrivener when you're writing? Well, I basically use Scrivener as a, like, like a, everything goes into Scrivener, unless it's something like a timeline that has to go into an Excel spreadsheet or, or a different software program like Aeon Timeline. Um, so unless it's that, Everything else goes into one file. So um, a book per file. So I start once I start a new book, I open this new Scrivener um, file, new project, and I start populating folders. Um, um, I always start with uh, basically create a folder that's research. And in there, I start dropping um, all the research that I'm I'm doing for the for the book. Um, it could be, you know, and I, I one of the features that I do is I will I'll import uh web pages into Scrivener. If I find, you know, some article that's interesting, I'll, I'll port that in. Um, I will just save, um, images, uh, as, uh, and, and oftentimes they're like character inspiration. I'll save those into my, my research file and I'll just start creating a text documents as well. Um, and I will, I'll throw in whatever interesting bits of information I'm doing in my research into the, into these, into my research file. Then I've always got another folder that's, um, developmental work. And that's just start a new text um, file. I'll just start a new, uh, you know, bit of text and it might be like character brainstorm or uh, magic system or, um, you know, setting. And I'll just start free writing. And so I'll, I'll create a big, uh, or I, I guess it's a sort of an R and D situation in my Scrivener file. Uh, and I will do that. And I, I pretty much just do research and then uh, brainstorming development um, for for several weeks um, and then an outline. So I, I will start just a new file that'll be like first draft outline and I'll, I'll start outlining. Uh, so then um, when it gets to the actual writing process, I just, you know, manuscript um, folder and I, I'll, I'll start just chapter by chapter. Uh, I'll usually port my outline into just a series of of text files. Um, and so I'll, I'll kind of take that outline and then break it down and sort of set out my, um, my chapters, uh, and just start working. Do you outline the whole book before you start? Roughly. So I am mostly an outliner, but, uh, my outlines, uh, are pretty much never end up being, right. <laughs> being accurate. They're um, milestones. So I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I will usually have a rough, sense of what the major narrative turning points are. I almost always know what the ending is uh, before I start writing. And then we talked earlier about this. I, I will, once I get into I'll just turn it, I'll just use composition view. Um, and I, that's pretty much my, my view when I'm, when I'm drafting. Before we started recording, we were talking, you said you always work on a laptop and your laptop is always with you. Are you always writing at home or are you one of the people who can write anywhere? I wouldn't say anywhere. But I do have, I will rent a co-working space um, and I go there oftentimes just to get away from the house where there's lots of domestic distractions, like the laundry that needs to be done and what have you. Um, so I will go to uh, a dedicated writing space and I'll, I'll work there. Um, I will work in libraries. I'll work in coffee shops. Um, but my biggest requirement is usually I need to set aside a decent chunk of time. I used to be better at being able to just like, oh, I've got half an hour. I'm going to do 
bit of writing. Um, I am I'm not so good at that anymore. I definitely do my best work if I've got uh, a solid four plus hours. We had a guest who said that what she does when she gets near the end of a novel, she goes to a hotel for a week. Mm. And that way she can really focus with no distractions right, and room right. service and no laundry or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely done uh, writing retreats um, where I, I do that. And I usually will plan to have a certain, I, I have some goal. I'm going to, you know, do X amount of chapters or I, you know, needed to get a certain amount of words done. Um, and those can be incredibly productive because you, yeah, you shut everything else out. And ideally, if there's a very poor internet connection, that helps as well. <laughs> Are you easily distracted? I think everyone is easily distracted because, it, you know, <laughs> writing is the sort of thing where it's all, it's always easier to do something else. There's almost always something that's easier in the moment than writing. I like to ask my guests if they have a book that they've been reading recently or a favorite book that they'd like to recommend to our listeners. Oh, gosh. Oh, I can't pick a favorite book, but I can pick a book that I read really recently that I enjoyed a lot. Um, that's the new Robert Jackson Bennett novel. It's called The Tainted Cup. Um, and it is, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Robert Jackson Bennett, he's a fantastic fantasy writer. Um, you know, he's the author of the Divine Cities trilogy and then Foundry Side. And, um, and this is his newest. And I don't recall exactly when it is coming out. I get the, I get the books in advance of publication, but it, when it does come out, I, I recommend picking it up. Okay, I'll put a link in the show notes. Fonda Lee, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. If you like the podcast, please follow it in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. To learn more about Scrivener, go to ScrivenerApp.com. Join us next month for another conversation on Right Now with Scrivener. <laughs>